Father, we come before you and we just thank you for a church family. A church family to fellowship together. A church family to grow together spiritually. To encourage one another spiritually. To, to just have a, a loving environment. And uh, Lord, we, we just thank you for uh, one another. That we can face the trials of life together. Lord, what a privilege is ours because of that. I do pray for um, Jeannie and Naomi. Lord, as they're going through this dark time, this difficult time of life and burying a loved one, it's always hard. But Lord, we know that your grace is sufficient. We know that you are kind and loving God and you are the God of all comfort. And I pray for that comfort on them today and their family. For those who have, had, have operations, uh, we, we just pray for recovery quickly. Uh, Lord, for uh, Tara having a, a new one. Uh, Lord, what a joy it is. And we know that she is, she is rejoicing. We just thank you and we praise you. And so within the confines of the family, we have, we have suffering, but we also have great joy. And Lord, we know it all comes from your hand because you are a gracious and benevolent God. And we thank you. We thank you, and I do pray that you would bless this word today as it goes out. Bless it in our hearing. I pray for clarity. I pray for understanding. And Lord, may it not be information to fill our minds, but to change our heart. And uh, Lord, we are thankful for the privilege of being able to come today and read your word publicly, and meet together publicly without the fear of persecution. There's so many churches, so many people in different countries that do not have that freedom. And Lord, we, uh, we, we pray for them. Help us to be diligent to pray for them. Our brothers and sisters that are suffering for the name of Christ. Let us bring before you those people. And I thank you for what Dave is doing and bringing to our attention these needs. I do pray that you would bless our time together. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, John chapter 21, if you would take your Bibles and turn, if you would like to turn there, that's where we will be today. John chapter 21, we are on the last chapter of this book. Now, John has given us um, this book for our own good, for life. Life is to be found in this book, and it's through believing in Jesus Christ, and He is, and he is now presenting to us a risen Savior. And so we come to this final chapter. In 1903, Jack London wrote a book entitled The Call of the Wild. And it was a very popular book at the time. It was, it was even somewhat controversial. And in this book, there is a, the main character of the book is a, is a dog named Buck. And Buck, he lived on an estate with uh, his master, Judge Miller. And uh, he, was, he had a wonderful life. A life of comfort. A life of ease. He was the, he was the, the main pet, if you will the main animal in that uh, estate, and he was looked up to by the other animals, it seemed. But yet, he was kidnapped, and he was taken north and sold. 
And uh, then he lived a very hard life and he learned um, the way of the club and that might makes right. And he was beaten and he had a very difficult life. And at nights it was very cold and he had to dig himself into the snow for warmth. But he would hear, he would hear in a distance the call of the wild. He would hear the, the wolves howling. And there was something inside him that would, that would just trigger and then he would perk up something that was natural, something that was primitive, something instinctual. And he, and he would think, I want to be a part of that. That's freedom. That's where the real life is. That's where goodness lies. It's out, it's out there. And he wanted to escape. He wanted to be a part of that world, that wild world. And uh, I won't tell you how the book ends. You'll have to read that for yourself. Every once in a while, though, we kind of muster up some courage and we think we want to be like that. We want to be in the wild where everything is free and natural, the way things should be. And then we turn on survival reality TV and we think, no, I don't want to be a part of that. That's not for me. It looks a lot harder than it is. And, uh, and so we, we just say, we shake our head and say, no, we don't want that. We know better. Life is hard. It's, it's harder out there. And the same thing is in the spiritual life. There, there's this, there's always this, this call, this lure. Satan always has it. It's the lure of sin, sinfulness. It's always there. It's a lure of freedom. It's a lure that you could take charge of your own life and a lure of security. This is where it's really secure because you are, you're providing for your own self. In this natural, sinful ways. It's a, it's a, it brings up thoughts of destiny. Well, that's just the way I'm made. That's the way I'm supposed to be. That's the way things are in the, the sinful, natural way, world. That's just the way humans are. It's part of the sin nature. It's kind of raw and real. Natural. There's conjures up rationales of of design I, I was designed this way it's part of my nature i'm a sinful person by nature and so i might as well just live it out i need to just live that way and it promises a uh, a sense of of purpose sense of purpose of fulfillment i'm living the way i'm supposed to live just doing my life doing the way it i want it to to live in freedom security destiny design and purpose. Sin promises those things. And there's a, a lure. There's a, a, a gravity that we could tend to gravitate toward that. And there's always that call. We always hear that uh, from time, or we hear that from time to time that, that, that wants to draw us back in. But yet we find in Scripture, in the New Testament particularly, that Christians have a new nature. A new nature. Turn over to First. I'm sorry, Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. And let me just read it to you quickly. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter reminds us, seeing that we have 
uh, that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His glory, His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us the precious and magnificent promises that, so that by them we may partake of the divine nature. We have within us a divine nature. He has put within us a changed heart. We have new desires now. We, have, we don't rely on those base desires, but we have a new desire to please God. We have a new master. We have new... Everything, in fact, has become new, as we saw last week. Yet, we still have that call that we hear every once in a while. It's very subtle. It's there. And we know it. We recognize it. That call to sin. That call of, of sinful life and returning back to our sinful life. We all have that tendency. In fact, we can all just drift. The Christian life is, is not about drifting. We know that if we drift, we're going to coast downstream. It's, it takes hard work to, to constantly be working against the cultures that we're in, the culture that we're in. In fact, if we do nothing, we will drift. It takes, it takes work. It takes swimming. It's kind of like the, uh, the churches in Revelation. They just, they just kind of drift. They lose their first love. They become lukewarm. They're just kind of drifting. They're not hot for the Lord. They're not loving Him first. They become imbalanced. And we can tend to be that way. Now, during those times, and when we, we hear that call, and we can tend to, to uh, yield to that call, we need somebody to step in. Somebody to, to love us and somebody to, to confront us and to come close uh, and get us in and say, look, you're going off in the wrong direction. You need to be corrected. Now, at the time, it brings guilt. It brings hurt. It, it brings uh, conviction to our life. And it, and it humbles us. brings humility to us. But it also brings the right frame of mind. Now, here's the way I need to think. And it brings the right focus. John here is he is presenting to us proof of the resurrected Christ. He's showing us now the third time that Jesus has met with his disciples. And and that's kind of the bigger picture. But there's something going on here. And if you look at the first verse, I'll just introduce this. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples. This is the third time he says. And he he closes this section with that in verse 14 as well. But he says, at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. It was a particular way that he did it. And John wants to point that way out to us, that he manifested himself. And it was, it was in one of these times, one of these times that, that Jesus had to come and kind of confront these disciples. But he does so in a very subtle way. He does so in a very gracious way. And he uses a little bit of shame. Now, now God uses different tools. Sometimes it's just a direct confrontation. Sometimes he doesn't even allow confrontation. In the 
case of the Corinthian church, there were some who just died. But sometimes God uses shame for those children who's supposed to know the standard and are beginning to drift away. He'll he'll sometimes shame them into. I do the same thing. If my children know uh, the right way to go and and they're not doing it, I, I'll use that standard and hey, you're dropping below. You're acting childish. You're acting immature and use that standard as uh, that's the standard. And anything less is to be is to be shamed. And so Christ. Uh, Christ tends to do that, and we'll see that in this passage. Now, here's what I want us to see, though. Here's here's kind of the point. Believers must be aware of the ever-present lure, that ever-present lure of sin and Satan to drift back into their old lifestyle. There's a warning here. There's a danger in this passage that John wants us to see. And the question we'll ask is, How do we avoid that? How do we avoid drifting back into our old lifestyle, our old sinful habits, our old sinful patterns that we had before God changed our life? Now, this passage is a beautiful passage. And we we will look at this and we think, wow, how can there anything be wrong in this passage? But yet what we'll find is there's this underlying problem that's going to be revealed We'll look at the section, and that's a hard lesson to be learned, a hard lesson to learn, a hard lesson learned, and then a, a picture of restoration and, um, and provision. So let's look at the first section, verses 1 to 3, an underlying problem revealed. And let's look at verse 1. After these things, that is, after Jesus had met with them uh, a few other times, or two other times, after he had commissioned them and told them, now look, you are, you are going to be filled with the Spirit. You are going, I'm going to send you out, uh, and I'm going to empower you to do these things. After that, he manifests himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now that's interesting. At the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. John wants to pull out and bring to our attention this particular incident, the third time that Jesus met. Simon Peter and and Thomas, called Didymus, which means twin, and uh, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and and two other disciples were together. Now there's seven of them total. We don't know the other two. We don't know who those are. But they're together. And they're at the Sea of Tiberias. That's just the the Sea of Galilee. It's just a different term because of uh, who was there at the present time and the the city that he was living in. It was one of the emperors, and he was living in the north part of the sea. Northern part of the sea. Actually, Tiberias took on the name of this emperor. And Peter says, Simon Peter said to them, So you've got a group of them, not all of them, but just a group of them. And he says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now, you begin to see a little bit of a problem when you look at this carefully. Because Jesus had told them, now, uh, actually, at his resurrection, if you remember back, he told the ladies that were meeting them, he says, now, you go tell the disciples to meet me in where? Galilee. 
said to him, meet me in Galilee. Go ahead and go up there and I'll, I'll be up there later. And so they, they were supposed to be in Galilee. But Matthew makes it even more specific where at in Galilee. They finally get all together. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16 it says, But the eleven disciples pro, um, proceeded to Galilee to the mount which Jesus had designated. And if you lose some investigation, you'll see that even before Jesus was on the cross, he said, now after you're scattered, I want you, we're going to meet in Galilee. Now they didn't pick up on it at the time, but he had apparently designated a particular spot, and it wasn't the what? Sea of Galilee. No, it was on the mountain. They were supposed to be on the mountain, not down at the sea. Well, that's interesting. That should make our ears perk up. Jesus wanted uh, them to be on this mountain, and they were there early. They were there ahead of time. They had got the right city, the right place, but and they were waiting on Jesus. They're waiting on Jesus. And these are fishermen, experienced fishermen. And Peter, with the other disciples right there, he says, I'm going fishing. Now, when he says that, he's not just saying, well, I think I'm going to go throw a line in the water. No, it's more intensive than that. It's work. It's work. And he's talking about going back, and there's indications of this. We'll look. He's talking about going back to his old lifestyle. That's what he used to do. He was a fisherman. He was known for being a fisherman. He brought in fish into that community and that fish was sold and and people could buy that and and he was part of that business community as well. But, in in fact, there's indication of this in three places. Let me show you. Turn back to John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and verse 32. Now this is before the cross. Jesus says to them, Behold, an hour is coming and already uh, has already come for you to be scattered. For you to scatter. So when, when they come for me, when, this, this, uh, when I am on the cross, when they, they come, they put me on the cross and they kill me, you're going to be scattered. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, for you to be scattered, each to his own home. Now the word home there is in italics because it's not there. It's just each to your own. And actually the implication is, is guys, you are going to be struck. You're going to be scattered because of fear, but you're going to be scattered and you're going to go back to your own, your own lifestyle, your own property, your own affairs, your own possessions, your own business. That's what's going to happen. That was Jesus's prediction. He said, this is what's going to happen. And that's what's happening. Jesus is, or Peter is going back to his own. Now look at back in John chapter 21. And he says this, Peter's goes fishing he said the other disciples say well we'll come with you and they get into the boat now it's not just a boat it's not just a boat in general or any other any uh, old boat but it's the boat and the indication here is peter's boat just happens to be there or maybe john and james's boat or or uh, some of the other disciples it's their boat and they're getting because they were many of them were fishermen so they got into the boat the idea is they're going, they're going back to their old lifestyle. And then there's one, one other place. And if you look down at verse 15. Jesus, now we'll look at this next week. But Jesus is finally confronting Peter specifically. And he says this. He says, Peter, son of John, do you love me? 
And then he adds these words. Do you love me more than these? More than these what? More than this boat? More than these nets? More than this environment? More than, more than your own lifestyle that you're going back to? Do you love me more than these? So there's indication here that there's a problem. A problem is becoming uh, more evident here that these guys were in the wrong. They were in the wrong place. They should have never been down by the Sea of Galilee because Jesus had already pronounced His claim on their life. If you look back to John chapter 15, He says to them in verse 16, He says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. And then back down in verse 16, 19 which was read to us earlier if you were of the world the world would love its own but because you are not of the world but i chose you out of the world then the world hates you and the the idea here is jesus has his claim on their life they cannot go back to their old ways their old lifestyle so there's a problem in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you can't serve two masters. And what we see throughout Paul's teaching is that we are now become, as Christians, we become a slave to God, a slave to righteousness. We are not our own. We are seeking His kingdom. Now, here's the principle. Here's the principle. It should be on the screen there. Believers must be aware of the danger to drift into their old lifestyle. That's always a potential. There's always that warning. There's a danger there. Now just imagine. These men, these are experienced fishermen. They did this by trade. And they're standing by the sea. They're standing by the sea and they, they smell the, the sea air. And the wind kind of hits their face and they, they see the open water and then there's this urge to just do some hard work. They, uh, now, fishing was different. Like I said, they weren't just throwing a line in the water. This wasn't casual fishing. This was, this was work. They had weighted nets that they would throw out and they would catch and pull in hundreds of fish at a time or many fish at a time. And, and there's a certain reward to that. And men just love that. And there's a certain craving that you see there that, that, that these men uh, are experiencing. And, and they just, yeah, you know what? That sounds good. Let's do that. Let's just go back to our old lifestyle. Let's just go back to that, that work. Now, I don't know if it was the smell of uh, that uh, seawater and the, the, the environment there. I don't know how much that had to do with it. Or it could have been Peter's financial situation. He needed to, to make some money, sell these fish that he's going to catch. But the, whatever it was, they fell for that lure. They were drawn in. They were, they were disobedient. Not grossly so. There's nothing wrong with going fishing. There's nothing wrong with uh, what they were doing necessarily. But yet they knew in their heart of hearts. And then Jesus comes along. But let me ask you. Where are you when you sense, when you, when you feel that lure of disobedience? That lure to, to go back to your old lifestyle, to those old sinful habits? Maybe you're sitting at a computer. Nobody else is around. Everything's private. You can look at whatever you want to. 
privacy there. And there's that lure. Oh, come back. It'll be great. Nobody will know. And the Bible says your sins will find you out. Maybe you're driving down the road. Maybe there's a certain building that you used to pass, that you used to frequent. Or maybe when you are around other people and you smell the alcohol and then all of those feelings come flooding back. Or maybe it's a song on the radio. Or maybe when you're looking at the, uh, at the yearbook from years ago and you see these faces and you remember the lifestyle that you used to leave, live. Those things should make us sick. Because it's, it's sin. It's sin. We don't want to go back to that old lifestyle. We don't... Uh, we don't glory in the past at all. We, uh, there's always that underlying danger, though, of that lure. Peter reminds us in Peter chapter, um, I think it's chapter 3, he says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, seeks about, seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said, if... Um, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your, if your eye offends you, pluck them out. Radical amputation. Take care of this sin. Do not be led astray. Do not, be, do not give in to this sin. There's one, one passage, though, in Hebrews that, that is really helpful, I believe. In Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, the author tells us this. He says, Take care, brethren, that not one of... Not one in any of you, um, not be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called day, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. Man, I love that. The answer here, now, now we're to be sober-minded. We're to watch for Satan's trickery. We're also to, to take sin seriously like Christ said. But he's saying this, you help one another. You get involved in other people's lives, in one another's lives. And if you see that person's heart becoming hardened because of sin, you, you confront them, you talk to them day in, day out, as long as it is still day, he says. And that's pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. We don't go down that path. We become sober-minded and watchful. We watch for those hidden dangers and those... We take radical action when it comes to our sin and we get involved in other people's lives, in each other's lives. So what we begin to see is there's a problem there. They catch nothing. There's a problem in this, in this uh, circumstance, in this situation. They've gone away doing their own thing. They've gotten impatient waiting on Christ. So let's go to the next one. Verse 4. A hard lesson learned. In verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the, bank, on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children! You, you don't have any fish, do you? And they said to him, no. Now, by the way, that's, that seems like the no of irritation. I've heard that no before from my own mom. 
or my dad. And he goes on to say, and, and he said to them, Oh, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find a catch. Now listen, let's just stop right there. Notice Jesus' language here. Men, especially when they're working, don't like to be called children. Or, or the, really the term is infants. Infants, a little baby. Now sometimes it's translated, or some translations I notice called it man, but it's, that's not the word. He, it, this is a degrading term. He's calling them children. They're acting like children. He's going to call them children. And he says, and he puts it in the negative, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, he knew they didn't have any fish. And they're so frustrated. Not one catch the whole night. What's that about? I mean, these are professional fishermen. They knew how to fish. They had done it before. And by the way, what difference does it make if it's on the right side of the boat or the left side of the boat? The fish don't care. They don't know. It doesn't really matter. Maybe the nets were in the boat and so they threw it on on the right side. Couldn't hurt. They didn't know who this man was. Probably inclinations in their own hearts. But he says, you know, throw it on the right side and you'll catch a you'll catch. You'll have a catch. So they cast it. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. It's a miracle, really. I mean, Christ had redirected the whole night redirected those fish to the other part of the lake. And those men were just frustrated, frustrated. And then just at the right time, they threw out the net, and boy, here they are. Here they are. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that would be John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment um, on, for he was stripped for work. He probably had his tunic on and And uh, he threw himself into the water, into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, uh, dragging their net. Now, there's a little bit of sarcasm there and maybe a dig toward Peter because he abandoned them as they were trying to drag these fish in. But he does his part at the end here. Verse 9, So when they got out... On the land, they saw, they saw, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have now caught. And Simon Peter, he jumps up and he draws the net in. He goes over and helps these men as they're pulling these nets in. Maybe Peter did it by himself, but he draws the nets in. Full of large fish, it says, 153. Now they would count. They would automatically count. Once they get them on land, they would count because those were, that was money. Money uh, that they would take to uh, these fish and to the marketplace and they would be able to get money. So they would count right, right away as quickly as possible. And, and although there were so many, the nets were not torn. The nets were not torn. Now, What's uh, striking here, there's a few things, there's many things, but John notices, John is very perceptive, and he's the first one, hey, hey, that's, that's Jesus. And Peter, though, is the first one to react. 
If that's Jesus and I'm in this boat, I want to be in that boat. Or I want to be on that land. I want to be with Jesus. So he jumps in. And, and when they got to the shore, they saw something that was just supernatural. It was a beautiful picture, but it was just supernatural. Christ was already there, of course. And he had a charcoal fire. There's embers already, a, a nice hot fire there. There's fish laying on that uh, that fire, probably on a rock frying up, and there's bread. Now, how did Jesus get that? I mean, they fished all night and couldn't catch a thing. And Jesus, he already had fish. Now, how did he do it? Well, all of this points to a miracle, doesn't it? It's just obvious. He just, he just, he just did it. Now, that's survival skills, by the way. I want to be with Jesus when I'm out in the wilderness and I need fish. It's another way to look at fast food. Jesus says, breakfast, and there's breakfast. Fire, fish, bread, he has it all. He has it right there. 153 fish, and they they counted these fish. And he had started the fish fry. He had got it going here. Now bring some more. Put it on on the fire too. We can all have some fish. This is just a picture. Jesus was taking care of them. Jesus was taking care of them. Now, He has demand on their life. He has claimed them for His own. But He is now showing them, I can meet your every need. You have no need to worry. I can meet your needs. Now, this is a hard lesson for these disciples to learn. And sometimes to learn lessons, we all need to come face to face with our what our inabilities, with our with our inadequacies. That's the only way we can learn a lesson sometimes. And we realize we cannot do it. But Christ demonstrated, Christ demonstrated that that he can that he, he first of all is committed to them to do it, and he is capable of doing it. He can meet their every need, in fact, their every wish. So Christ provides every fish. In fact, even the fish that they caught. Did you catch that? It wasn't their fish. It was his fish. He caught those fish. He's the one that, that did that. Now, they put in the work. Now, there's a... Why did they go back, though? Was it out of fear of failure in ministry? Was it in a moment of, of weakness and they don't think that they can accomplish this ministry that Jesus wants them to accomplish? Was it just idleness? Idle hands makes a, is a devil's workshop, as we've heard, or impatience. They're standing, waiting on Jesus, and, and he's not there. And so they just get impatient and says, I'm leaving. Or just plain disobedience to God's wishes. I like what MacArthur says. <laughs> Concerning this, he said uh, that Jesus, it is as if Jesus was saying to them, you do anything else and I will see to it that you fail. I've got your claim, my claim on your life. Jesus is the one in control. The song that we just sang uh, trust and obey. It says there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's, that songwriter got it right. It's in obedience. Now here's the principle. 
It's simple. Really, just they needed to learn to rely on Christ. They're relying now. They're not doing it themselves. They're relying on on Christ. And here's the principle. Christ has the the commitment and the resources to meet the needs of those who are obediently serving Him. Man, that is so true. He has the commitment. He's already promised that He would. And He has the resources to meet every need of those who are serving Him. Dependence upon Christ. That's what they had to learn. Now, Paul had learned this. And if we, um, in 2 Corinthians, he, he just clearly states it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, he says this, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may, be, may dwell in me. Therefore, I will, I will, um, therefore, I am well content with weakness, weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong, he says. He recognized it was God at work. Christ was at work in his life. Christ was the one that was producing these things. And he states it very clearly in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned. I think that's important. These disciples needed to learn. Paul needed to learn. We need to learn. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. Those circumstances belong to the Lord. He's the one in control of those things. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to uh, live in prosperity. It is uh, in any and in every circumstances, I have learned that the secret of being filled and, and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. That is wonderful. That's something I think that we have to learn. Now, what was the real problem? The real problem, they're there. They hadn't learned this lesson yet. They needed to learn several things. That Christ is the, mat- is the master. He is the one they are now relying on. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't work. We do work. It's just a matter of focus. He is the master. It's, we, it's Him that we are relying on. So the problem is just in the impatience. And the impatience... Where is he? Okay, I've had enough. I'm gone. Boy, that sounds like me. That sounds like me sometimes. Or, or sometimes I think it's not just impatience. It might be impatience along with the wrong focus. We have the wrong focus. I, I'm, I'm just going to do it myself. I can provide myself. I don't need him. I don't need his strength. I don't need... I can do it myself. You see that call of the wild, instinctive stuff there? Old nature kind of stuff? I think there's another element. I think it's wrong priority. These men had the wrong priority. Everything else is, or something else is important. Other things are more important than what I was supposed to be doing. We must be very careful. There's a very subtle warning here for us. We must be very, very careful. But listen, God can provide 
for us. He, he is committed to our needs and He will provide for us. Oh, just quickly, verse 12, 12 and 13. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Now, uh, none of the disciples ventured to question Him, Who are you? Knowing in their heart or knowing that it was the Lord. In their heart of hearts, they knew. And in fact, there's, there's something about after uh, the resurrection, nobody really identified Christ. Nobody saw uh, or nobody uh, recognized Him until... He revealed Himself to them. Now, I, I like to think that maybe, you know, He had this glorified body. After the resurrection, He had a glorified body. I, I believe maybe, maybe He was bald. And in the glorified body, He had hair. And then they couldn't recognize Him. Now, that's my theory. Now, I don't know, but for some reason, they didn't recognize Him. I don't quite understand that, but it's part of the, the glorified body. And he didn't, he didn't reveal himself until he does, and then they realize. But in their heart of hearts, they knew, this is Christ, this is the guy. I don't know what has changed, a complexion. I, I, don't, I, you know, I, I don't know, maybe he, he didn't wear glasses anymore. I, I don't know. But there is some kind of reluctance here. It goes on to say, Jesus came and took the bread. And He had to give it to them. He gave it to them. The bread gave it to them. And the, the fish likewise. So he, he initiated this. He is playing the gracious host here. And they're kind of a little reluctant. I think a, a little bit of that is just uneasiness. Uh, maybe even a little shame. Maybe even a little guilt. But they took the bread how does it feel to have somebody else make breakfast for you? My wife made breakfast for me yesterday, and it was great. I, I was smelling, and it was, it was late in the morning. It was on Saturday. It was a wonderful time, and I could smell it, and it's like, man, I was ready to eat. And it's just nice to have somebody else getting up and thinking about you and preparing all of this stuff for you. And you could smell it. These men, they could smell that fish, and they were hungry. And he, he plays this gracious host. But it's nice to have somebody watching over you, isn't it? It's, somebody have, it's, some, it's uh, nice to have someone taking care of you. Someone that's responsible for you. That's helping you. Now, now Christ is, is the master, but He's also very, very, very gracious. Very gracious. And, and I'm just reminded of what he taught, what Christ taught his disciples earlier. And I don't know if this came to mind, but this is the picture. This is what seems to be going on in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. He says this, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. It's a yoke. It's heavy. It's hard. It's a hard life, guys. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, it's, it's light. That's the picture here. Guys, don't go back to your old lifestyle. I will take care of you. Yes, it is a yoke. You are mine. I put my claim on you. You are not going anywhere. But listen, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. 
kind of like that wild stallion that, that someone captures in the wild and they, they come and they, they have to train it and they, they finally or eventually can put a blanket over it and maybe a saddle and a bridle and, and then a bit in its mouth. And, it, and that wild stallion is under control. These men, they're under God's control. But he is a benevolent master. He is good. He is gracious. He is kind to them. And this is the picture of a, rest, a restored relationship where they, they come and have a breakfast together. And we'll see more of that even next week as they sit down and they begin to talk. But these men wanted to go back to their old lifestyle, but Christ says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And He does it in such a, a gracious way. And here's the principle, just quickly. And when... When believers are focused upon Christ, they will find rest and peace of mind. Folks, that is so true. That is so good. That's the place that we want to be with Christ. He is the focus of our life. Yes, life is hard, but when we have a relationship with Him, we can have peace. We can have rest. And they sat and they had breakfast with Him. A breakfast that He provided. I mean, they worked all night and couldn't catch a fish and... Here he was, he had already had everything. And Jesus is saying, I will take care of you. I can meet your every need. I'm a benevolent master. And this is a picture of safety and provision. A picture of a restored relationship with Christ. And it reminds us of James 1, where James just tells us to, to remember. Remember that, let me read it. Every good gift, every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above. From above. Coming down from the Father of lights. We have a Father that will take care of us. We don't have to worry about money. We don't have to stress over the, the workload that we have. He is there. He gives strength. In fact, anything that we do, He gets the credit because it's His strength. He gives the health. He gives the food. He gives the oxygen. It's His. Even though we go out fishing, we come back with His fish. It's amazing. It's amazing. We have to be aware. Believers must be aware of this, this ever-present lure, this call of the wild that Satan and sin have to drift back into the old lifestyle. Now let's just think about this just quickly, just by way of application. God would not let these men go. They were going to be miserable. They can't even fish anymore. God would not let them go. That's a wonderful thing because I know if it depended upon me, I would be gone. I would drift away. But God has His hand on these men. Another thing is, just by way of application, are you your own person? Or, or have you submitted yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you just like these men, just going, I'm going to do what I want to do? The call of the wild. The whole nature thing. I'm just going to do it. I'm the God of my own universe. I hope that's not an attitude of your heart. If it is, there must be repentance and restored relationship. And then another thing is God will provide. God will provide. And we have to work. But along with the work, God provides. And He gives, 
We have a physical job many times, but we also have a spiritual job as well. A spiritual purpose, and we seek Him first. And even though, even though we have a new nature, we still hear that call of the wild from time to time. Hopefully it diminishes the older we become in our Christian life. And we can have a, this call. But we can be aware because we're sober-minded. We can, we can uh, seek God first. And we can take His provision so we're not relying on ourselves. But we must remember that He'll never let us go. That we're His. That, that He is the Master. We're just, we're just the servants. Completely dependent upon Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. How precious it is. Wonderful. Lord, to see these men and we know our own tendencies is to be like these men. We just we would drift, Lord. We would go astray. Lord, I thank you for your hand that's on us. You are so kind, so gracious. Lord, I thank you for holding me, not letting me go. Lord, help me to keep in mind that you'll provide for me. You are a gracious and kind and loving master. And Lord, when those times of temptation come when satan offers that lure lord help me to just resist help me to take it seriously and just leave and get out of the way lord so often we don't take sin seriously i pray father that you would work in our heart even now Bring us to that place. Bring us to that place of of commitment, Lord, that we want to live the kind of life that is pleasing and glorifying to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.